Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Well, let me echo David's words. We are delighted to welcome you this morning. It is an incredible blessing anytime we have the privilege to be together to worship God. I pray to encourage one another. And I'll also echo David's words, thank you for the ways that you show honor and love to one another, honoring the guidelines that, uh, that we're trying to honor as we walk through this pandemic together. Maybe you have seen the following words inscribed on a plaque somewhere, uh, maybe on someone's desk, maybe hanging on a wall. Uh, the words on the plaque, did I really say that out loud? Did I really say that out loud? Uh, Think about it for just a moment. Words, phrases that come out of our mouths that may shock others, that in fact may shock ourselves at times. Words that may leave a lot of questions lingering. Uh, Perhaps on one hand, uh, words that we should never speak. But on the other hand, as we approach life, I pray with honesty and transparency, on the other hand, Words that we do need to be willing to speak as we acknowledge our struggles. The struggles that we may have just with life itself. The struggles we may have in our relationships with one another. And certainly the struggles we may have in relationships with those with whom we disagree. With those who are different than us. Can I really say that? Did those words really come out of my mouth? Can I really be that honest, that vulnerable? And so today, we are beginning a little four-week series simply titled with that question that you see on the screen. Uh, Can I say that? Uh, Back in July, we did a series in which we focused on a variety of questions. Can Can I ask that? Well, a bit of a different direction, a different twist with this series. Uh, Can I say that? Again, acknowledging, I pray, Uh, the struggles that we face in life and in relationships. Uh, I'll be preaching three of the sermons in this series, and you'll also have the opportunity to hear from Joy Drumright on one of the Sundays during the series, Uh, a series in which I do pray that we are transparent with where we are in life, but even beyond that, where we, with all sorts of honesty, will lean into Scripture to see what Scripture has to say, and hopefully lean into Scripture with the kind of honesty that will lead us to grapple with those areas where we really need to change. And so next Sunday, those moments when we may find ourselves saying, I just really don't want to forgive that person. And so we'll look at what Scripture has to say about forgiveness. Bottom line, do I really have to forgive Do I have to forgive all people? Do I have to forgive those who have hurt me? The following week, I struggle to talk about Jesus. How do I bring Jesus up in everyday conversations with others? Joy will address that topic. And then I'll close the series with, I struggle with what Jesus says about money. And so we'll explore Scripture together. What does Scripture have to say about money and how we use our money? Can I say that? I think the answer is yes. In fact, again, to be honest enough to acknowledge areas where we do struggle, 
that I do struggle to forgive others, that I do struggle to bring Jesus up in everyday conversations, that I do struggle with what Jesus says about money. But again, on the flip side of that, I pray that we are honest enough to just open the word together and ask, what kind of life is it to which God is calling uh, calling me and calling you? And so let me begin the series this way today. I'm going to guess that many of you, certainly those of you who would be my age or thereabouts, my guess is that many of you would have grown up hearing words similar to the words that I heard as a child and a teenager. And this is just one example. Statements like, the two things that people disagree about the most, the two things that people argue about the most are religion and politics. And almost inevitably, that statement was followed with someone saying, so let's just agree to not talk about either one. Let's agree to not talk about religion. Let's agree to not talk about politics. And yet I've got to tell you very quickly, even though those words were spoken, some of the sharpest disagreements, some of the biggest arguments I heard among adults when I was a child were disagreements about religion and politics. Folks that most of the, most of the time could be just as kind and civil as they could be, and yet when they began to argue about religion and politics, you wondered, uh, are we talking about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, or Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jekyll, or just who are we talking about? I'm not sure that much has changed over the years, not sure that much is different in today's culture. I'll, I'll allude to a couple of things uh, that David referenced on the political front. We are two days away from an election. You are aware of that, right? We are two days away from an election, not just a presidential election, but a number of other offices in our, in our community, in our state, in our nation, where folks are vying for a particular role, a particular office. And even though the election takes place on Tuesday, reality is it may be days, even weeks before we know the results in all of those particular areas. Hear me carefully in the midst of all that we see in our world. And by the way, this is not a sermon on politics, and so don't tune me out, but hang with me for just a moment. Hear me carefully in that context the debates, the political rhetoric and rallies, the ads on TV, the posts on social media. No matter which candidates you may support, no matter what your political persuasion is, I think we would all have to acknowledge that we have seen and we have heard way too much slander, more bitterness and hatred than civil conversations. Folks have always disagreed politically, but it seems like the intensity of those disagreements has ramped up a thousand percent in recent weeks and months. In addition, we are still in the midst of a pandemic unlike anything that most of us have seen in our lifetimes. Over 9 million people in the United States who have tested positive for COVID-19, over 230,000 who have died. And church, those are not just numbers. My guess is that most, if not all of us in this room, and for those of you who are watching online, my guess is that most, if not all of us, can name family members or friends who've had the virus, some of whom have been quite ill, and then family members or friends who have died from the virus. Here's what I find amazing. 
Obviously, there will be different opinions voiced as to how we cope with something like a pandemic. What amazes me again is the kind of rhetoric that we often hear, language that is unkind, language that many times is just downright ugly toward others, dare I say that is downright ungodly. It's interesting, when we as a people experience suffering and heartache, there is the incredible opportunity of being drawn closer together. And so we look at communities that have been affected by a hurricane or a tornado, and you see people suddenly working together, even churches working together who would have never thought about working together before, suddenly partnering together because they're fighting the same cause. They're dealing with suffering. They're dealing with a crisis. And so when suffering comes, there is the incredible potential of being drawn closer together. But the reality is, if we're honest, the reality is when suffering comes or when suffering continues for a good stretch of time, when a pandemic will not go away, we not only find folks on different sides of the spectrum disagreeing with one another, but doing more than just disagreeing, questioning motives, making everything political, and maybe we've been guilty of the same. And so one of the statements, one of the questions I want to grapple with on the front end of this series as we ask that question, can I say that? The question is, can we disagree with one another and still love one another? Can we disagree with one another and do so in a civil way, do so with the Spirit of Christ? Uh, to echo the title of a little book that uh, Eric Open, Open pointed me to this past week, a little book, and they've done a variety of presentations as well, Sarah Holland and Beth Silvers, at very different places, political and yet friends, and so the title of the book, I think, says it all. I think you're wrong, but I'm listening. I think you're wrong, but I'm listening. That willingness to be open to one another, because my opinion quite frankly, may need to change. But if I put up the barriers, that potential never exists. To be even more direct as I reflect on, can I say that, and I step into today's lesson, maybe the statement is, I struggle, I struggle to love all people. Yeah, your preacher just said that. I struggle to love all people. I suspect that Maybe, just maybe, some of you could make that confession as well. Did I really just say that out loud? I struggle at times to love all people, those with whom I disagree. Whatever the disagreement may be, politically, religiously, I struggle to love those who are different than me. And my question this morning would be, can we be honest enough to admit that? Can we be honest enough to even admit that to Jesus? Jesus, I really struggle. I know you told me. But Jesus, I really struggle at times to love all people. And so as I did last Sunday, may I first of all suggest that we simply allow Scripture to speak into our lives. Last Sunday, I read a couple of texts where I said, I'm not going to offer any commentary. I just want you to listen. Well, today, I want to make a few comments on the first text I read and then allow a second series of texts again to just 
by themselves speak into our lives. I want to begin with a passage that we actually read just a few weeks ago when we explored the beatitude that talks about mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And so as I read this familiar text from Luke 10, I want you to be sensitive to that moment when the word mercy shows up in the story. Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law. In other words, someone who knew the Word of God inside out. An expert in the law. Stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've made this comment on previous occasions when we've looked at that text, but as a follower of Jesus and specifically as a preacher, that's the kind of question that you would want from anybody, anytime. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But rather than Jesus answering, or at least immediately answering the question, Jesus does what he often does when somebody raises a question. He turns the question back to the expert in the law. What's written What's written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? How do you understand it? The expert in the law answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. And then he says, Love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting from Leviticus chapter 19. Jesus said, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But then the very next line in the narrative says that the expert of the law wanted to justify himself. In other words, if you would allow me to paraphrase, it may have been the expert of the law saying, but Jesus, you need to understand that I, that, that we struggle to love all people. And so I want to be able to justify my behavior. Now, those words are in the narrative. Those words were not necessarily spoken by the expert of the law. Here's the question he asked. So just who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And that's where we've got to hit the pause button for a moment and just really let that question sink in. He wanted to justify himself, and so he asked, who is my neighbor? As if to say, I really do struggle to love all people. I know that I'm supposed to love my neighbor, and as a good Jew... Translated to today as a good Christian, I want to make sure that I have a clear understanding of Scripture. I want to make sure I have a clear definition of those who are my neighbors and of those, listen, of those who are not my neighbors. I want to make sure I love my neighbor because the law requires that. But I want to make sure I justify my position as well. And so, Jesus, would you clearly tell me who my neighbor is and who my neighbor isn't so that I have permission to not love those, to not love those who are not my neighbors? He wanted to justify himself, and so he asked, who's my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, and you know this parable well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, an African-American, a Mexican, a Hindu, a Muslim, a Democrat, 
a Republican, an Arab, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I, will return, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Don't miss the way Jesus worded the question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. There's our word mercy showing up. The one who had mercy on him. But please notice, he did not, I suspect he could not bring himself to say the Samaritan. Which one was a neighbor? Oh, the one who had mercy. Good answer, but my guess is he could not bring himself to say the Samaritan. Jesus told him, you go and do likewise. Great application for the expert in the law. Great application for us. You go and do likewise. You go and show mercy. Leaving that question, I think, lingering, would our world look any different if we all chose to show mercy to others? You remember how we define mercy in that series on the Beatitudes? Mercy is compassion, forgiveness, love that we extend to someone when it is within our power to harm or to just not do anything. In other words, rather than harming or ignoring or excluding or exploiting, we choose to extend forgiveness, compassion, love, mercy. And might I add, that is even more difficult when we think about those with whom we disagree. And so the application of the parable is, go and do likewise, show mercy to others. But, and please stay with me, the expert in the law, I think, was also left to ponder his initial question. Who's my neighbor? With one answer being, well, the guy who's on the side of the road who needs mercy, who needs help. With one answer being, quite frankly, your neighbor is anybody, and so you need to love all people. But again, I want you to notice the way Jesus reframed the question, because the way he reframes the question is telling Jesus' question was, which of these three, priest, Levite, Samaritan, which of these three was a neighbor? Remember the initial question, who's my neighbor? Answer, not just the guy who's laying on the side of the road. Answer, the Samaritan. The Samaritan. And you know that first century context well enough to know that Jews despised Samaritans. Jews would go out of their way to avoid interaction with Samaritans. Someone that they would have had incredible difficulty loving. Jesus, I struggle to love all people. Especially those with whom I disagree. Especially those who are different than me different politically, religiously, different when it comes to ethnic backgrounds, educational backgrounds, economic backgrounds. I struggle. 
And I want to tell you today, I think that is an important beginning place. There is incredible power in simply acknowledging, simply confessing that we struggle to love all people, to forgive all people. We struggle with what Jesus says about money. There's incredible power in simply beginning with that kind of confession, but not to leave it there, to lean into what Scripture says. And so here, without commentary, a couple of paragraphs from 1 John chapter 3. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that, that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. From chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And yet you may be saying, but Barry, I really struggle. And I may be saying, but I really struggle to love all of you. I really struggle to love all of my brothers and sisters. As we talk about a whole variety of, of, of differences, I simply cannot understand some of the positions that folks take. I really struggle to love those who have wronged me. Well, bottom line, and hear me carefully, church, bottom line, if all of you would just think like I do, believe like I do, act like I do, the world would be a better place. And the church said, isn't that where we are much of the time? Rather than acknowledging the kind of diversity that exists even among God's people and saying, maybe, just maybe, there is power in listening to one another and engaging in conversation when we disagree and yet doing it in civil ways with the Spirit of Christ, listening to where others are. It's not easy to do, but I again believe the right beginning place is to confess, to acknowledge that we do struggle, and then to be honest enough to lean into Scripture and to ask God, where do I need to change? Because I'm convinced I'm convinced that if we're not loving all people, if we're not loving all people, we need to feel guilty. When I was writing the words to this sermon, I, 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 I thought about, I just need to say, if you don't love all people, you need to feel guilty. And I thought, no, no, I don't need to do that. And then it hit me. No, if we don't love all people, we need to feel guilty. Not to wallow in our guilt, but to allow our guilt to drive us to do what is right to engage in reconciliation, to love all folks. In fact, as we think about seeking the will of God, not that Jesus was struggling to love all people necessarily, but remember again, he became one of us. He experienced temptation like we do. And so in the garden with Jesus knowing what was coming, betrayal by one of his own, a crucifixion, Jesus says, Father, in, in, in transparent ways, Father, if there's any way for this cup to be removed, 
And yet, Father, I surrender, not my will, but yours be done. I haven't mentioned it yet, but did you catch the focus of the video right before the sermon? The video was titled, What Do You See? All of those faces, all of those different backgrounds, those differences among those folks, a little video that concludes with, you just saw 200 faces. And just like you, they were created in the image of God. And so I challenge us to lean into Scripture, but even beyond that, I challenge us, challenge us today to be a people of prayer. David's prayer at the outset, but here in just a bit, I'm going to close this part of the assembly by leading us in praying the Lord's Prayer, and then Randall DeMint, as one of our shepherds, is going to pray over us. But before we step into that time of prayer, I want to share with you words from Dan Bouchel, who's the president of Missions Resource Network, a good friend of this church. He's got family members who are part of this church. In one of his email blogs this past week, he wrote these words. When things go wrong, it's common for us to look back and ask about a better time. As if to say, if we could just go back to the good old days, or as if to say, if we can just place the blame on everybody else. He says, we want to know where we went wrong. We want to recover good and identify where the problems crept in. On one hand, that is perfectly understandable and helpful. Scripture often calls us to do exactly this. Remember who you are and what you're about. Get your story straight. Don't abandon what God told you. And yet, part of what makes the Christian view of the world unique is that we are not primarily driven from behind. We are primarily drawn toward what is ahead. History is going somewhere envisioned by God. And so we follow our shepherd who walks ahead of us we're not pushed by a barking sheepdog from behind. Dan wrote, don't get me wrong. We need to remember the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We need to recover a connection to the old story. Most of all, we need to focus on Jesus and his finished work on the cross. His resurrection changed everything. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the core of our message. The, the early church is an inspiration to us, and we want to be today what they were in their day. My parentheses there, it's in that respect, I think, that the past challenges us to lean into the future. Dan concluded by quoting from Leslie Newbigin, who reminded us the church, and I want you to hear the language carefully, the church is the sign, the foretaste, and the instrument of the coming fullness of the kingdom of God. We point like a sign to a greater reality. This isn't it right now in its fullness. It's over there. The world and all of its corruption is not all there is. Even the church in its human frailty, frailty and corruptibility is not the fullness to come. We are, and I love his language, we are the hors d'oeuvres that give the world a taste of what is coming when all is set right. We are the movie trailer giving the world a glimpse of the coming attraction in all of its full length, end quote. Bottom line, we are called to live out the kingdom of God right now. 
so that the world gets a taste, so that the world gets a glimpse of what God has imagined from the very beginning. And maybe, just maybe, it begins with a commitment to love all people, even when that is difficult, even in the midst of political divisions and tensions, even in the midst of a pandemic that pulls us in so many directions. And so we lean into Scripture, and we lean into being a people of prayer. Let me invite our team to come ahead and join me, and Randall, please come ahead as well. I want to lead us in praying the Lord's Prayer, and I'd like for us to do it this way. I will say a phrase, if you would repeat the phrase after me, and then I'm going to pause for just a few seconds and allow you to silently voice to God what's on your heart. I pray in the Spirit again of us being a people of love. And so bow with me and repeat after me phrase by phrase, if you will. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we are grateful for this morning that we received a gift when we woke up and took breath. And Father, may we see this day as a gift, this day. And Father, we're reminded that our hope is not based on our love for you, but on your love for us. And Father, we ask, I ask, that in a world um, that is conflicted, that is uh, maybe confused, uh, that is seeking peace that only comes from you, Father, we ask that you send us lots of neighbors, that the neighbor is the one that you put in front of us uh, in every interaction. And Father, that we are put in front of others because we need mercy. Father, mercy that comes from you. The world we live in, uh, Father, may we be in a non-anxious presence. May we be a light. Uh, your kingdom continues to expand. Father, you the work of your spirit does not stop during a pandemic or during an election year or uh, during a conflicted society. 
Father, may we lean into the work that you are doing right now. May we step forward in hope and optimism because as your kingdom comes, it is unfolding. It unfolds in how you relentlessly pursue the hearts and the minds of men and women. And Father, as we follow Jesus, may we invite everyone we know to walk with us as we follow our Savior. Father, we thank you for this day. And in this day, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and places to step into. It's in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that I pray. Amen.